Welcome to Give Methods a Chance, a podcast where we look at social science methods and practice. Alice Goffman's ethnographic fray into a black neighborhood in inner city Philadelphia has attracted attention both inside and outside of academia. While on the run, Fugitive Life in an American City was a critical success and Goffman was initially celebrated for accounts of over-policing and over-criminalization, questions are now being raised about the accuracy of Goffman's accounts, her participation in illegal activities, and the claims made in the book. Today, Douglas Hartman, professor of sociology at the University of Minnesota, president of the Midwest Sociological Society, and co-editor of the Society Pages, joins us to discuss lessons that can be learned from the attention and critiques Goffman's work has received, as well as the implications for sociologists and urban ethnographers. Thanks for joining us today, Doug. Thanks, Kyle. I love what you guys are doing. I'm happy to be part of the project. Let's start with the method itself. Ethnography seems to hold this tenuous position between science, journalism, and perhaps even creative nonfiction, although I think some people would probably protest that last characterization. But what does Alice Goffman's case help illustrate about this position? Well, in a basic level, I think in a way it's less about her own work and more about the reactions to her work. And I feel like you see criticisms coming from both the science side that it's not accurate in its description of the objective description of the institutions and social structure or even the, the neighborhoods that these guys are in. That's one set of criticisms. And then on the other hand, there's people who I think feel that she hasn't maybe gotten as fully into the lived experience and felt worlds, especially of black men and and inner city black men even more particularly, that, that maybe it's not quite as deeply in as she thinks. For me, what it really uh, reminds us, those kind of, that kind of huge range of reactions, reminds me that ethnography really does occupy a tenuous but also very productive position in sociology between our more kind of interpretive and explanatory or positive sides between our quantitative and qualitative inclinations where um, we are always as as sociologists trying to understand in objective ways the empirical worlds around us Uh, but what makes us a little different than your stereotypical positivist scientist is that those worlds are human worlds that we feel and experience and understand in ways that aren't entirely predictable and that requires us to delve into those worlds and interpret them. And that's where the science starts to take on more artistic forms. And I feel like she's right in the middle of that. She's doing some of all of that, and in some cases better than others. Uh, But I feel for sure that what some of the crossfire she's getting caught in is people that have kind of one set of standards and expectations or the other, um, and really uh, prioritize or privilege, like, objective science over interpretive sociology or or vice versa. Considering the qualities that you were just discussing, does this reveal something about the significance of engaging with theory or previous research when using this method? Uh, Is there there more of an impetus when conducting an ethnography? Absolutely. I, I think what's really important to think about is what is the kind of scientific status or social scientific status of ethnography and maybe getting back to the way you framed the initial question, what really distinguishes ethnography from journalism or any kind of, or even kind of creative writing or nonfiction? Um, And I think one of the big criteria is engagement with a body of theory. 
that defines kind of what the empirical questions are, uh, what are the kind of questions of a community or of a particular group, what are the issues, what are they experiencing that we need to know more about. So an ethnographer um, goes into the world, into those, into the world or a community, um, not just with a generic interest in generally understanding that community, but goes in with a set of questions, with a set of theoretical ideas that helps guide both what is being observed, what is being written about, and then how you're interpreting that. Um, the other thing I would say, uh, besides theory, there's at least two other things, I think, in systematic data collection. Once you know what those kind of theories are and what your questions are, you are then engaging systematically in particular, you're putting yourself in particular situations, engaging in with particular communities and particular contexts, and then collecting data over a period of time and in a hopefully systematic kind of way that might not be exactly replicable, but should be structured in a way that other scholars who work in those areas, whether ethnographers or, ethnographers or not, can understand that context and begin to make sense of the data that's being assembled. And then the other element I would add, so I've got theory, systematic data collection. And then the other one is, I think, engaging existing uh, literature uh, and scholarship, either on the community or on the broader social context, the institutions and social structures and patterns that surround those communities. Um, and this is where um, I think sociology, sociological ethnography wants to move beyond just description, beyond even really good journalism, and speak to larger, more general questions. And it, we do that both not only in theor theorizing and collecting data systematically, but bringing those studies, that data, that thinking into contact into dialogue with, the other, with other scholars in the field who are using other methods and other data to document, you know, systematically the patterns or the institutional practices or, or social realities um, that we know in a kind of a little more of a disconnected way. Um, one of the things that I think has been kind of what got Alice Goffman into some trouble is I actually, I feel like she has different agendas in different parts of the book. And different, um, and, and different parts of even her data collection, or even the presentation of her data. And I'm thinking here, talk she's given versus the book itself versus like the big public TED talk. I think um, in some ways she's really interested in helping us understand the life world of African-American men. That's much more of an art, artful craft that's required. But at the same time, she makes some pretty grand general claims about the nature of social structure in, in, in the cities and especially the criminal justice system, that she doesn't really engage the literature that has done a much better job of establishing what those patterns and realities are, which, you know, it might be a great description of how the men she studied understand the world. But then she's kind of generalizing pretty grandly from that. And part of why that I think happens and happens in a way that gets awkward is because it's not kind of disciplined and structured by putting their experience and their understanding in dialogue with the broader uh, bodies of research and knowledge that have been done on these same questions and in the same communities. That ties in really well to my next question, which is how do we know what is a good ethnography or how do we evaluate an ethnographic project? And this seems particularly important when you're considering the popular attention the book has received. And we've seen people like uh, journalists try to replicate Goffman's study, for instance, would this be an appropriate test or, or what do you, what should we look for? 
right? Um, I think that the you know what's a good ethnography? There's no there's not a single answer to that, and the reason there's not a single answer is because I think there's a number of different questions and goals that ethnographers can take on. And one thing I think, how I tend to think about that question is, on the one hand, what are the goals and objectives that the researcher, him or herself has, and try to evaluate the work on those terms? And then there's another set of terms on what else do we want to learn from that uh, from that project? Um, and that's a different set of standards. To me, what's and and to give you maybe some specifics on that, for example, and it goes back to what I was saying before. I think there's some people who think of ethnography really as trying to take us into subjective life worlds um, and cultures and and ways of thinking of particular groups, and you're not trying to evaluate that per se to say whether they're right or wrong, but rather to help a reader or an audience understand what it's like to be that person or to live in that context. And so that really is subjective. Then, but other people's kind of understanding of ethnography still very qualitative is actually to understand whether the practices of people's lives match the narratives that they tell you. Um, and so, for, in this context, I think there's a really interesting kind of tension between interviews and ethnography, where sometimes ethnographers will accuse interviewers of only listening to people's stories. And when you don't put that in the context of their actual material lives, they can say anything, but how they live is really different. And so I think that's another goal of ethnography is not just to kind of understand how a particular group or even individual thinks about the world, but what they do in the world. Um, Those are two different kind of goals and projects. Uh, And both of those, those are still kind of in the context of communities and practices and people's lives. They're still very cultural, very interpretive. Um, But I think there's other ethnographers still who really are trying to be even more definitive about accurately describing a community, a neighborhood, where it really is not necessarily positivistic or quantitative, but it is about the collection of empirical data to make a case about uh, maybe the characteristics of a community uh, and the patterns of people's lives. All of those to me are perfectly good ethnographic projects, but very different goals and questions. Um, And so I think it's incumbent um, when we read an ethnography, when we do an ethnography, to be clear about what its particular goals and questions are, whether there's data, information, interpretation, and theory that helps us answer those questions, or whether we kind of get astray of that. Um, again, I think one of the challenges that you see why people are responding to Goffman's work is I think there's some sometimes cross-purposes, different goals and questions that are going on in that project where the author herself might not be very clear about that. And for sure, readers are bringing, bringing different um, standards and objectives to the evaluation of the data she presents. I will say, I think it's her work, one of the things that stands out about it, why I think it's gotten the attention is one of the things as an ethnographer she does well is in some way take us into her experience, her understanding, her connection with men in those communities, bring that to life in a very felt way a very passionate way um, that seems true to some kind of life. It takes you into that. Um, and that's a real success. So if she viewed that as her contribution, it was more clear that that was what she was doing, then that would have basically um, not allowed a lot of the critiques that she received, right? 
I think that's right. She'd have been clear about that. And not only is she not clear about that, I think there's other parts of the book and definitely other parts of how she's promoted the book or given talks on the book that wants to make much larger claims from these five or eight guys in this one particular neighborhood to not just that neighborhood or Philadelphia, but to the entire American criminal justice system. And it's not that she might not have something to say about that, but it, that's where it starts to lose some of her the discipline. Well, it starts to be a different set of questions. Mm-hmm. And you'd have to be much more deliberate and systematic about framing the ethnography in the context of those theories and that research, uh, but also of making those connections and interrogating, I think, the accuracy, the reality, the veracity of their experience of this world. And like one of the celebrated examples of this is the kind of the hospital story about that hospitals regularly in what turned in the names of visitors to the police. And and I think what's awkward about I, I don't necessarily doubt that that's how the men she studied and understood the world and even that she saw that. But it, to me, is a real problem not to try to, I mean, there's data out there on this, and people have studied this, of whether these are actually the policies and practices that hospitals and police um, units use. And that's where, to me, what kind of starts to happen is she allows the subjective world that she's capturing to then become an objective, that it becomes for her an objective description of these patterns and institutions where she really doesn't have the data and information to speak to the larger patterns and and, and institutional policies. Critics have also raised questions about the treatment of the data. Uh, So Goffman destroyed her field notes as well as some other documents. But the question this raises is, should ethnographers go the route of survey or quantitative work where the data is basically one of the products you're producing and that uh, the data should be made public. And if ethnographers should go that route, how do we go about protecting the privacy of the people who participate in the research? Yeah, that's a really, really good, very important question. And I think protection of privacy, confidentiality, anonymity is super important, especially when we're trying to research people who are underprivileged, disadvantaged, uh, really, you know, in in potential violation of the law. And I really, I feel for her on this one because not not just because she tried to do that and is getting criticized on scientific grounds. Actually, the opposite. What what to me is astounding in the most recent couple of weeks is she destroyed all this stuff and how easy it has been for journalists to not only figure out what neighborhood she's in, but they've gone in and found exactly the individuals that she's talked about. Yeah, the the journalist trying to replicate the study tracked down the main family that was in the book. And it's there's no doubt that's who it is. Yeah. So to me, it's it's what's so hard here is really to protect. And and so she goes to these lengths, not only destroying her notes, I think, but acknowledging that she falsified parts of her story, really important facts and pieces of information. She lied about those. She did that with a good reason, but it didn't work. It didn't protect the anonymity of the subjects at all. And so one of the things about this is I think that ethnographers have to be more upfront than they often want to be about when you're in a community, you're not an an, an abstract general observer who can necessarily protect yourself or your your subjects from that. And in that sense, I think um, journalists are are ahead of us in recognizing that they, in the sense that they recognize that it's hard to protect those sources sometimes. But I respect that she tried to do that. Um, I don't know that I would have destroyed 
the notes and data. I think having that to go back to would have been helpful. Not, I think a lot of the people that, that are critical of her on this um, are because they come at it from a little more of a positivist vent, bent where they'd like to see the data to see whether she got it right or not. My standard would be different on that. It would be, I would be interested to see more on how she's interpreting that. So I don't, I don't think of that as, as objective data field notes. I think they're interpret one level of interpretation already. Uh, but I think I would really, given the controversy that surrounds some key passages and events, I think it would actually have been a benefit for her to be able to share the field notes and show exactly how she was interpreting that in the book or in a talk because it's different levels of interpretation. And to me, it's all levels of interpretation. But what really is important to see is what it is that's getting interpreted, how it's, how sense is getting made of it. And in having destroyed the note, she not only didn't protect her subjects, but she doesn't give us any way to kind of go back and think through the levels of interpretation. And to me, what that really makes it hard to see is where she's really at her brilliance. I mean, to kind of the level, the way she's able to use that data and information, those stories, those experiences to bring things to life. Because now all it seems like is like, it's almost like it could have been made up. I mean, that's the kind of journalistic versions of this. And, and it doesn't let us see all of the data, the years in the field, and, and how in the interpretation of the data when she is engaging theory, and I'm sure, I, I'm sure she did that, but we can't see that process when it's gone. The other thing I would say, though, I do think there's some of the data in the project that she destroyed that's inexcusable, uh, and that's the survey stuff. I think the, the survey data, the survey that she purportedly did, that was a pretty big part of the ASR article that got published on this, that, to me, she doesn't have much grounds for destroying. Because the reason to do a survey is not just to take us into the interpretive worldview of a few individuals. It's to collect systematic data across a community or population that then we analyze to draw inferences from. And survey researcher, we're, when you do that kind of work, that's then, there's no individual subjects we're talking about. We're talking about communities and we're talking about data that should be able to be made available for reanalysis, that the whole kind of logic of just of, of either hiding or falsifying or even destroying ethnographic fieldwork to me doesn't hold for that survey at all. Uh, I think there's actually a lot of ethical problems with the way that survey was constructed in the first place. Mm -hmm. But in the, to the extent that survey is something that social science does, there's more norms, expectations, and standards around that that she didn't really, I think, didn't do a good job of participating in. And just to call it an ethnographic survey, I think either devalues what a survey is or misunderstands what ethnography is. Yeah. Um, and so I, that's a whole different level of dealing with data. But I'd say in, in that kind of data, in that part of the project, I do feel like it's outside of some of the, what I see as the strengths of the ethnography uh, that doesn't accrue to the way that that part of the study was conducted. Goffman has also been critiqued for participating in illegal activities while she was conducting the research. And that raises a larger question for ethnographers about how do you balance academic accountability or larger questions of ethics with this goal of, of immersion into the scene and really getting to understand what's going on and participating in every aspect that's possible. Yeah, it's a, it's a, a hard question because I think when we're talking about aspects of social life, that are on the margins or even on the other side of the law, how we research that, how we know about that 
whether we just leave that open and nobody's going to study it or whether we have an impulse to go a necessity to go in there i mean i think also i think of this in a little bit more general way communities that are disadvantaged are in some ways easier to study it's hard to study richer communities where there might be kind of issues of legality or or ethics that go on i mean i think it's incumbent on sociology and sociologists just like reporters sometimes we have to get into scenes and get into context that border on or are illegal and and or and, and that raises both legal questions and ethical questions um, I actually think the ethical ones are harder than the legal ones I think the legal ones the issues are if you're gonna break the law or be in the, you have to own up to that I, I feel what's a little awkward with the response to the accusations of illegality um, for some of her field work is owning up to that in a way um, realizing that you know you're in a context where you are culpable um, with with behaviors that probably are illegal and you might be partially or fully responsible or or, or um, in culpable for that I I think though that that's there can be ethical reasons to do that now I'm not I don't I'm not thinking specifically about the, the cases that that uh, have gotten the attention with Goffman but I think there's definitely you make choices as a researcher just like you would as a, a reporter or anybody in the world about who your friends are, what kind of behaviors you'll observe or tolerate or what you even get involved with. Um, we have a lot to learn from those. Um, and, and I think that in a sense, that's the harder questions of when we see those kind of laws getting broken or skirted. What are the reasons and criteria why we go along with it or allow it? And, and I, I actually feel like break the law. But I mean, I think the power of the book is she's involved with the group. And I think she has every ethical and moral reason to do that project. Own up to the fact that that puts you in illegal situations. I think back to it's part of the human experience. And part of our job is to try to understand that. One of the things that I feel like, at least the popular critiques of Goffman's work miss, is that sociology has this really rich history of studying the urban environment. Goffman's work isn't alone. It's not the first project of this type. So what, if anything, is unique about studying the inner city? Or maybe what are the lessons that we can take away from considering that history? Yeah, I mean, I I guess I'll, I would answer that, first of all, by uh, re- remembering that sociology as ethnographic history goes back to the Chicago school and really studying urban neighborhoods, the neighborhoods that new immigrants and working folks and racial minorities were living in. You know, we think of the history of sociology, a lot of sociology grew out of the attempt to understand ourselves, to understand the modern world. And one of the things that distinguishes sociology from anthropology is anthropologists were always kind of about the other. Um, They often did that in colonial contexts or exotic others, people far away, but they were really much more systematically engaging people and communities and cultures that were different from their own experience. But the Chicago School sociologists, to their great credit, both for the field and for their moment, they took basically anthropological tools to understand people who weren't like them in the same communities and societies that they were living in. Um, and I'd say that's part of, the, of a great history of where sociology has really helped us to understand the human condition in its variety, its diversity, and all the inequalities and injustices that go along with that. It's tricky, it's hard, because 
urban ethnography sometimes becomes a euphemism for studying poor people of color. I think some of the uh, criticisms of Goffman's book, actually early on, weren't the ones in the public sphere right now. They were from people from communities of color who weren't sure she got the story right in terms of the, her portrayal of the men in the community she was studying, or who felt like she didn't contextualize those properly and kind of it became easy as an for an uninformed reader to think that her depiction of this very small particular group of men um, stood in for how we think about all African-American men or everybody in the inner city. Um, these to me are the dangers. This is the danger that we do when we're trying to study uh, the others, kind of keeping that awareness of how we share many things even with people who are different from us and how to understand differences and inequalities and how to put things in context. Uh, she had the guts to go in and do that. And she has to take, I think, both praise and criticism for the extent to which it's a accurate, informative, and, and rich and provocative picture of those people. Uh, but the other thing I would say, um, not just about her book, but about sociology's ethnographic tradition of studying cities is I think that's some of the work that has been the best for our field in living up to our highest hopes and dreams of really making the worlds that we live in better. Um, I think it's exactly for displaced communities, especially those in cities and the cities that are in the richest countries and most Western countries we live in, that we see we've accumulated real knowledge and insight that can help do something about the inequalities and we, poverty we see in those contexts. And I think urban ethnographers have been some of the people on the ground who are most connect, not only most connected with understanding communities, but most committed to working to improve lives in those communities. And when I think back to the Chicago school, I think one of the kind of tragic parts of what happened with that was the split between sociology and social work where in the early days of the Chicago School, the people who were doing social work and sociology were the same people. And that meant they were trying to understand the world, even as they're trying to prescribe for better worlds and work with people in communities to make better um, neighborhoods. Jane Addams is somebody who springs to mind on this. But in uh, the history of academia, those two, that kind of analytic task and the more applied, engaged tasks, we've separated those out. And I don't think that's been for the better, because I think that when sociology is at its best, uh, when we're studying real people, um, whether it's people just like us or people very different from us, we're engaged in their lives and their experiences in their communities, not only in understanding them, but also in trying to help them and also help ourselves be more responsible to the conditions and institutions that structure what their experience is like. Could you say a little bit more about the positionality of the researcher, uh, and especially considering this history that we've been talking about of the sociologists heading into the urban environment to study marginalized populations? To me, it kind of reminds me of that some of the harshest or, or maybe most pronounced critiques within the academic context have been from scholars of color. Um, who feel like she's either misunderstood some of the um, people in her study or kind of exploited them as a white woman going in and doing this research. I, I think she's that Goffman's work is kind of vulnerable on that, like a lot of sociologists sometimes are, where I think she really had great 
access and connections and rapport uh, with with um, the the men in her study really connect with them and can help us bring help bring that to life. And to do that, she really did get deeply immersed in that community. But I kind of feel like at the end of the day, as she steps out of the study and is writing the book for us, that you wish there was a little more awareness of her own position in doing this research as a white woman, as a graduate student, that her place in specific events or in the community in general is not neutral. It's not transparent. I mean, she's going to have a unique identity in place. And, and it does kind of lose sight of that. I would say this is one of the things that at urban ethnography does tend sometimes to have a problem on that front. I think very different. Anthropology does that sometimes, too, but I think has a because of the criticisms in their field of the last 25 years, tends to be more aware of positionality, more attentive to being reflexive and reflective about one's own status. Uh, in a community, especially when you're studying from above or studying folks who are from different cultures and communities. And I, and I think uh, that that in this case, that's one of the issues you don't see as much attention to the particularities of the researcher and how the research was constructed that to me would have actually strengthened the project a little bit to kind of know where this account, where this interpretive tale and, and vision of the life world is coming from. Ethnog- the ethnographies that are best, I think, usually put the ethnographer right in the center of it. And the ones that I get nervous about are the ones that kind of write in an, in an imperial voice uh, with the authority, authority of, I was there and I'm the research expert. Uh, I don't know that she necessarily does it just like that, but you don't see the attention to her own race and class and social status Uh, that to me is an important condition of the research. And I'd say that's one of the larger lessons of good ethnography, whether it's out of sociology, anthropology, or other fields, uh, is for researchers to be aware, not only of their questions and their data and their theories, but of themselves and of their position in the field, of their, how they're interacting with others, either that they know well or don't know at all, uh, that those aren't um, transparent, neutral, unobjective situations. They're, they're complicated because we're all real people and it's real people researching other real people. And we can never control that, but we can try to be aware of it. And, and I think uh, a good ethnographies um, should make their readers aware of that context and that position as well. As a way of concluding, perhaps we can think back about the reaction that On the Run has received, both from academics and journalists. And as we've said before, there's been a lot of uh, reaction, both celebratory and critical. But is there anything that we can learn from this, lessons that we can take away, maybe implications or even things that surprised you on some level? Lessons and implications. Well, I'm surprised how much attention this book has got, in a sense. And, I mean, I read it, and I've been trying to think about why that is. I think it's a really well-written book it's very passionate it takes you into people's worlds it's from a young scholar with a classic name and lineage and legacy um, the Goffman brand as it were somebody who's been and I think the scholar has been successful in terms of graduate school and getting a job and and so it's placed in that so it's kind of an excellent work in a lot of respects that's been very highly visible more so than most I'm surprised. I'm not surprised by a lot of the different criticisms. 
you know, when I first read parts of it last summer, I kind of had concerns about uh, the representation and depiction of, of black men. And so I wasn't surprised to see African-American scholars and other scholars of color being critical of that in Authors Meets Critics sessions. I was not surprised that criminal justice scholars were dubious of the grand claims that were being made, not so much because they were wrong, but because they didn't come out of her evidence. And, and worse than that, I think, were kind of relying on a lot of other scholarship that wasn't getting cited or discussed. Um, so that's not surprising that there are those criticisms, but what is surprising is how much attention and the volume and the heat of that attention. Or how public. And how public, I yeah. mean, it's not, it's New York Times, it's Slate, it's Salon, it's not just the Chronicle. Right, that's right. And and I think some of that is the success of the book, and some of it is, is the name um, and the success of a young scholar. And I actually am very sim- I'm sympathetic to her on that, because I feel like for somebody just out of graduate school, this book is a great accomplishment in a lot of ways. It res- it ref- it's There's a lot of ethnographies in our field that get people tenure, that get published as books, that don't have near the quality and ambition of the book that she's produced. And so it kind of, uh, some of it, I, I feel like almost, well, sympathetic is the word I use, but it's almost unfortunate that it's gotten all this attention because I don't think this is the best that is going to come from Alice Goffman in terms of her ability to merge, it, merge her, immerse herself in a field and write about it and theorize it. Uh, it's a first work. But I think it's gotten that attention because of the prominence that the book has gotten because the way she herself kind of played off of that, both in academic circles and non-academic circles, you know, like online talks and things like you know, the, the TED talk she did, the success of the book publishing-wise, you know, that the press made a public trade off-print of it. And that just calls attention to it. And I think especially what is what I think especially happened for this latest round of controversy was the larger claims um, that she made about the book in the public sphere. Then when scholars who ha- scholars and policymakers who have an interest in those arenas go back to the book, back to the work, they see the lack of evidence for some of that the ambiguities, the uncertainties, the questions that really are in the work. But it kind of got, she kind of brought that on herself, both by up in the ante, but also by just being successful in terms of writing a good book and getting a lot of attention, because that's not something that's easy to do. But I, I, I guess in a sense, there's lessons there. I think most scholars don't have to worry that that'll actually happen to them. Uh, but I think it's kind of good correctives. As a field, I think it's probably more incumbent for us to think about what kind of work really speaks to a public and how we as a body of scholars what works we get behind and try to champion and push and and um but you know markets are fickle and weird and and books are by markets not just by communities of scholars uh so it's kind of realizing that that process plays out in ways we can't predict or control and then maybe thinking about the opportunities that we have now to engage both in the substance of her work about life in the inner city, about the criminal justice system, about the state of, of ethnography. That's one of the main, I'm, this isn't the kind of thing I'd usually, you know, do a podcast on or talk about, but I think the reason that I was willing to do it is to think about especially ethnography, the methods, stuff that you're interested in and what we can learn from that. And so to me, the larger lessons are to think about what are the criteria and questions that good ethnography takes on? How do we construct those, those really good pieces of work? 
and and kind of seeing the multiple levels that that can happen and that this book brings those out, but also realize, helps us realize the kind of complexities that we get into when we're trying to do a lot of different things in a single work. Well, that's a great place to conclude. Thank you again for joining us today. It's a real pleasure. Thanks. On behalf of me, Sarah Loggison, and my co-producer, Kyle Green, thank you so much for listening. And remember, please give Methods a chance. Thank you.